It's good to see all of you, and it's a blessing to be together. In this country, we will celebrate this upcoming week, Veterans Day. And this morning, I think it would be appropriate uh, for us to acknowledge all those in our number who have served our country in the military. So, if you are a veteran, would you please stand for just a moment so that we can recognize you. You may be seated. Thank you. From all of us, I'll speak on behalf of all of us, thank you for your service uh, to this country that we love. We've got some events I want to share with you very quickly. Oren, I'm going to steal your thunder again. Here I go. Today, after our Sunday school, we're going to have uh, a get-together down the hall in the gym for families with fifth graders and down. Family fun day. I said, Oren's getting out his notes. He, he's going to start dramatically marking off these things that I'm sharing with you one by one. He's going to try to throw me off my game up here, but it's not going to work. <laughs> Family fun day today. Please stick around. Food is provided. We don't expect you to, to bring anything. We're going to have pizza and salad and some raw vegetables and cookies. We're going to have a devotional. We're going to play a few games and just enjoy some time together. So that is today for families with fifth graders all the way down to babies. Please stay around. Let's have a good time together. Next week, we have a guest speaker coming, Bill Watkins, who is the preacher for the Creve Hall Church of Christ in Nashville, will be with us, and he'll be preaching for us and speaking in our adult Bible class. So join us for that, and then that afternoon, we're going to do Stop and Sing. We've done this once before. This is round two. We're going to go see some folks who've been stuck in their homes for a while to bring them some encouragement. It will bring encouragement to you as well if you're involved in this. So join us next Sunday afternoon at 2.30. I believe that's all I was going to share. Oren, maybe there's something else that uh, you'll get to share later, or maybe I stole all of it. I don't know. We'll see. But once again, we're glad to uh, be together, and it's a blessing uh, to enjoy this time of fellowship and to worship our God. I don't know about you, but I have just been fixated this last week on the state of our nation, I forgot last week to wish you a happy election week. It's been a week-long uh, ordeal and uh, complete with such fun festivities as watching the news every evening and checking the news app on your phone throughout the day. What a fun week we've experienced. Maybe you haven't been wrapped up in it like me, but I have been. I've been following all the various state uh, House and Senate races, and, and of course, the uh, United States House of Representatives and the Senate, and of course, the presidential election. Uh, I have just been so uh, obsessed with it. So, if you're like me, then I think we, we need for God to remind us, through His Word, of our role in all this as Christians. What is our role in all this? And, and for that answer, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the text that we just heard. And it will benefit you to have your Bible open to this letter in our New Testament to 1 Peter. And I want to go ahead and read just the first part of verse 11 of chapter 2, where Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, writing this letter to Christians in many different places, he says, Beloved, I urge you as 
sojourners and exiles. So Peter hones in on a key component of our identity as believers living in this world. We are sojourners and exiles. We're aliens in whatever country we find ourselves, whether it's Mexico or Canada or, or China uh, or Norway uh, or the United States of America. We are strangers, in a sense. We are pilgrims. And we've sung about this already. I so appreciate the songs that Alex led in preparing us for our message today. We're pilgrims. That's what Peter says we are. Now, when we hear this word pilgrim, we normally think of these people. The English Puritans. Who sailed on the Mayflower and arrived on this continent. In 1620 and founded Plymouth, Massachusetts. And we think about the first Thanksgiving. We'll soon celebrate that wonderful holiday. And we'll probably see some school children wearing hats such as these in programs throughout our country as we celebrate Thanksgiving. But this morning, as we talk about being exiles, being strangers, being pilgrims, I don't want us to think about these people. I want us to think about this person, Daniel. Now, this, of course, is not really Daniel. This is an actor who portrayed Daniel in the Bible miniseries. This is who I want us to envision when we think about being pilgrims. Daniel, who along with countless other Hebrews was exiled from his homeland, from the promised land that God had given to his people. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25 when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that great empire, came in and sacked Jerusalem and carted off God's people into exile. Some were left, but most uh, were taken away. Daniel was among those who were taken into a foreign land. Daniel, along with his three friends, you know their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Exiles. They became pilgrims. They became strangers in a strange land. And this is the image, I believe, that Peter has in mind when he tells Christians in our text that we are sojourners, that we are exiles, that we are pilgrims. He is drawing on this, this shared memory, uh, this well-known imagery from, that we read about in the Old Testament when he refers to us, believers in Christ, as pilgrims. In fact, he starts his entire letter with this very language, chapter 1, verse 1, I've got it up here for you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he names off some places where Christians are to whom he's writing. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He says, I am writing to elect exiles. And he's talking about Christians. Strangers in strange lands of the dispersion which was a term used specifically for the scattered Jews, for the diaspora. You know, after the exile, they were taken into Babylon and they wound up in, in, all over the known world. And Peter is borrowing this term and now he's using it to refer to Christians, to believers in Christ who were scattered 
all over the known world, the dispersion of believers. When Peter calls us pilgrims, he is emphasizing that where we as believers live is not where we ultimately belong. That where we live is not where we ultimately belong. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. But our identity as pilgrims, of course, impacts, or it ought to impact the way we comport ourselves in this strange land where we find ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Meaning, the fear of the Lord. Have respect and reverence for God as you live as strangers in a strange land. And this connection between who we are and how we behave, who we are as pilgrims and how we live that out, that identity out, is spelled out in our text, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and elsewhere in the letter. And we're going to be seeing several of these texts as we proceed. So, what does it look like for us to live in a place where we do not ultimately belong. How do we operate as resident foreigners? This is where we live. But this is not our ultimate home. This is just a temporary place of residence. First Peter is all about navigating this tension. So let's talk about how we live as those who live here. And then we'll talk about how we conduct ourselves as those who don't belong here. So, as those who live here, first of all, we aim to impact outsiders with honorable conduct. We aim to impact our unbelieving neighbors with honorable conduct. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, meaning among Non-Christians among outsiders, keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. What does that mean? Peter means act in such an upright way that you change people's preconceived notions of what a Christian is. That you challenge their prejudices, that they will want to criticize you but you will be living in such a generous, upright, good way that they will find no fault in you. And in fact, you can make such an impact on their lives so as to convert them so that they will be ready for the day of Jesus' return. So this speaks of the power of our good conduct in so far as it impacts the people around us. The way we conduct ourselves the way we comport ourselves in this unbelieving world can make a world of difference and then peter also says in verse 15 this is the will of god that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people they will think that you are this way but by your good conduct their prejudice towards you will be challenged it'll be challenged so we aim to impact outsiders with honorable conduct. In the book of Daniel, we read about how King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and none of his spiritual advisors can interpret that dream, but God gives Daniel the ability to interpret that dream. But he's a foreigner. He's a Jew. And he uses his ability or the ability that God gives him to interpret the dream as an opportunity to declare 
God's greatness. And he says, hey, it's not me. I don't have the power to interpret your dream, O king. It is my God, the God, the one and only true God, who is giving me the ability to interpret the dream. So Daniel witnesses to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And then a little bit later in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, the king's advisors are trying to find fault in Daniel, but they cannot. Because he is living a life that is so far above reproach, they could not find any way to bring up charges against him. This is what I'm talking about. In a foreign land, Daniel as a believer was in a foreign land, and he behaved in such a way as to impact non-believers with the power of God's Word. Now think about being on a mission trip. You know, when you are on a mission trip, many of you have been to foreign countries or stateside trips. When you're there, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. And while I'm here, I want to make as big an impact, as big a difference as I can. And so I'm going to work from dawn to dusk, serving and spreading the love of Christ and just doing whatever I can do to serve God in this place. Because at the end of the week, I'm going to drive home. This is not my forever home. And so I want to do as much good as I can while I'm here. That is how we should live each and every day. We know that mission is not a trip. It is something we are called to in our everyday lives. This is our temporary home. We are resident foreigners here. And we want to maximize the time that God has given us to make as big an impact as we can on the people around us. And I think God's people should, we should look for common ground with our unbelieving neighbors. We should serve the common good. We are to be salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. I think about when the pandemic broke out in New York. There was a conservative Christian organization, the Samaritan's Purse, that set up tents in Central Park to treat uh, the people who came down with the virus. Now, some of the city officials up there didn't like their presence because they were conservative Christians, and yet, nonetheless, they were there to serve selflessly, sacrificially, because what is something we all agree upon? That the sick should be helped. And they got some good publicity from that. And maybe they changed some minds about how people think about Christians in our culture. I saw it on the national news that they were up there helping people. And so we aim to impact outsiders with honorable conduct. But here's something else. We respect every human institution. Peter talks about this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter says, in whatever country, in whatever earthly government you find yourself, you need to submit to it. Within limits, of course, and we'll talk about that momentarily. Jesus himself in Mark chapter 12, verse 17 said, Render unto, unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And Paul in Romans 12 says, We live peaceably with all, if possible, so far as it depends on us. We aim to live at peace 
with the people around us in the countries in which we find ourselves. And, you know, I think not only are we to subject ourselves to every human institution, to earthly governments, not only are we to submit to human leaders, but we can also contribute to the welfare and to the human flourishing that we desire to come about as a result of human governments, through human institutions. I love Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Are you familiar with this verse? Boy, this is a great verse. As we consider our role as pilgrims uh, in this world, our role as strangers in a strange land, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, the prophet Jeremiah is writing a letter from the promised land to, the, to, to God's people in exile. And look at what he says in verse 7. This is striking to me. He says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So you involve yourself in the well-being of the country in which you find, our, in which you find yourself. In this case, it was Babylon. And we, of course, find Daniel doing this. Daniel and his friends learned the culture of Babylon. They were trained in the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, we're told. And Daniel, we're told in Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, uh, involved himself in a government affair. And he did so, the words in the scriptures are, he did so with prudence and discretion. So Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they submitted to, within limits to the government in Babylon to a foreign king. And not only did they submit, but they also sought to, uh, or they sought the welfare of the city. Uh, they sought the welfare of this great empire. And so should we. And so it is, of course, acceptable and admirable for Christians to be involved in military service. And we had all of our veterans stand early, earlier to acknowledge them. Uh, it is acceptable even to be encouraged that Christians vote for the candidates that we believe will advance God's purposes, for the policies that we believe are important. It's acceptable for Christians to be involved in political parties as long as we hold those associations loosely. Because as we know, the Word of God never changes, but political parties do. And platforms change. Over time, it's acceptable for Christians to even run for office. And I could go on and on uh, to, you know, to be civil servants. We could say that as well to, to advocate uh, for different interest groups, uh, you know, for uh, for honorable, uh, upright purposes in, in our government. It's OK for us to do all that as long as we remember that we are pilgrims. That we are resident foreigners. That we are exiles. We are just pilgrims here in search of a greater city. We submit to earthly government. We can involve ourselves in seeking the welfare of the places where we reside. So we've talked about how we operate as those who live here. But as those who don't belong here, let me share a couple things with you. We abstain from the passions of the flesh. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says, 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Daniel, when he was in Babylon, the king said, this is the diet that you must embrace. This is the food you must eat. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, no, sir. We will not, defi- we will not um, defile ourselves by eating the king's food. Maybe because that food had been sacrificed to foreign gods. Maybe because that food did not fit with uh, Jewish dietary restrictions. But they said, quite prudently, I think, hey, why don't we run a test on us? And we'll eat God's food or the food we believe God wants us to eat for this amount of time. And everybody else can eat the king's food. And you see who's healthier by the end of that period of time. Daniel said, we will submit to this government, but only to a certain point. And if this government commands us to do things with which we are not comfortable, then then we will say that is a line we cannot cross. Because we belong to a greater government. And we operate under a greater law. And we abstain from that which is sinful, as Peter talks about in verse 11. Of course, in our culture, there is some commonly agreed upon behavior. And we recognize the common good. But hey, there comes a point when we disagree with our unbelieving neighbors about even something as foundational as what is good. You know, Isaiah talks about calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good. We see some backwards, topsy-turvy morality in our world and it's up to us as Christians to say, no, that is not the good and we will not be involved in that. We are salt, yes, but we're also the light of the world. We shine forth the righteousness of God and His kingdom. And... We limit, as those who don't belong here, we limit our allegiance to human institutions. Earlier I said we submit to earthly government. We subject ourselves to our leaders. And we can even act in ways that contribute to the welfare of that. But there comes a point. When we have to limit our allegiance to human institutions, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for, for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What is Peter saying here? I think he's saying we are free to dissent To disobey human laws when they violate God's commands. In the book of Daniel chapter 3. The king of Babylon said, I'm setting up this golden idol and everybody better bow down. And if you don't, there's a fiery furnace waiting just for you. And the whole nation got down on their knees to worship this false god. But who stayed on their feet? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, enough is enough. This is a line we will not cross. We will not bow down before your God. They faced the consequences for that, but were delivered, of course, by God. They believed they would be. But they said, even if 
God doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow down. What about Daniel? When some of those advisors of the king were looking for charges to bring against Daniel, they sort of tricked the king into signing this decree that said, nobody for 30 days can pray to any other god except the king of Babylon. Because they thought that would, in, that would trap, you know, entrap Daniel. They were trying to take him out. And we read in Daniel chapter 6, that when Daniel heard that this document had been signed, what was the first thing that he did? He went and broke the law. He went and prayed. He prayed. And he was caught. And he was thrown to the lions. But God protected him. Daniel said, this is a line I cannot cross. I will not stop praying to my God. There was a church... In Washington, D.C., the Capitol Hill Baptist Church. In the midst of the pandemic, there were great restrictions in D.C. and many other cities across the country. Nobody can get together crowds more than this size, even outside, even with masks. This church appealed to the city twice. Said, please let us gather for worship. Because, by the way, this is an essential gathering. We know as Christians the importance of being able to come together and worship God. And this congregation tried to submit to government authorities, tried to live peaceably with all, appealed to the city or declined their request so they filed a lawsuit against Washington, D.C. Which, And I've looked into it. It seems very reasonable to me. It was very respectfully done. And you know what? They won. And they are now able to, and, and they're, they're trying to operate by the, the, the rules that were set in place. All they want to do, meet outside, socially distanced, with masks. And so they filed suit because they know the importance of gathering together. And they won in a court of law. Sometimes we have to say, no, we will not operate. By the laws of the land. If they require us. To defy God's laws. And I'm struck here also. And I think this is something very important. For us to remember. That. In verses 16 and 17. That we've read. Peter says. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So. While the emperor is to be honored, only God is to be feared. And this was in an age in the Roman Empire when emperor worship was common. Peter says, don't worship the emperor. Only worship God. Honor the emperor. By the way, if the emperor, and there were some evil Roman emperors who even sought to take the lives of believers, of Christians, and Peter still says, honor him. So if that emperor can be honored in the Roman Empire, certainly our leaders, even if we vehemently disagree with them, can also be honored, but they dare not be worshipped. I have said before that, you know, 
there is an increase in secularism. There is a decrease in religious faith in our country. And I believe that what is filling the vacuum of that is politics and allegiance to political parties and leaders. And politics makes a pitiful substitute for faith in God. And we treat these elections <laughs> of both sides. Most important election of our lifetime. If our side doesn't win, if our side doesn't win, everything is going down the tubes. We put our faith in men to rescue us, to save us, to reestablish morality. It seems to me that a lot of people in our culture, and I'm not necessarily talking to people in this room, but people who don't seem to have any semblance of faith in God have replaced their political engagement and involvement. They've replaced religion with that. Now that's a dangerous place to be in. Honor the emperor. Honor the president. Honor the governors. Honor the congress. You don't have to disagree with them. Honor them. Fear only God. Worship only God. Don't put your faith in a political leader, in a president, in a man, in a woman. Worship only God. I love this prayer shared by a Christian leader. It was about whoever is elected president, but you could say for any government leaders, my prayer is that our leaders, whoever is elected, discover the church is their biggest ally when they do right. When they do right, we say yes, and we applaud that. But, their most relentless critic when they do evil. Yes, we commend you for doing right. No, we do not approve that, whatever that is. The church must speak with moral clarity, no matter who is in the Oval Office, no matter who is in the halls of Congress, no matter who's in the governor's house. We are their biggest ally when they do right, but their fiercest critic when they do evil, especially, especially as it relates to the most vulnerable among us. And so, yes, we submit to human institutions, but we limit our allegiance as well. Because remember, we're pilgrims. We're pilgrims. We're exiles. We need to remember this. Listen very carefully. We are pilgrims here. We've been dancing around this the whole time. Let's say it clearly. We're pilgrims here because we're citizens elsewhere. We belong to a greater kingdom. We belong to an eternal kingdom. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because I'm ready to dwell with you and the Father forevermore. That's where my ultimate citizenship is. Lies. That is where I ultimately belong. But in the meantime, as we wait eagerly with anticipation, we aim to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Psalm 137, verse 4. The psalmist in exile says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We sing by aiming to impact outsiders with honorable conduct. We sing by respecting every human institution, but also limiting our allegiance. And we sing the song of God by abstaining from the passions of the flesh. And I say to you pilgrims gathered here today, to you exiles, to you strangers in a strange land, sing on, ye joyful pilgrims. Sing on. 
If you desire to be a part of the kingdom of God today, you can come and join by confessing the name of Christ, repenting of your sins, and being baptized in water. If you're struggling in any way and you need prayers, please come at this time as well as we stand and sing.